0: This is the Mustard Seeds Podcast. We fail miserably in informing you of uh, anything important, but we do so with wit and banter. Well, we think we're cool at least. I'm Colby Salinski, and the voice you're about to hear is Ian Jacobs. This week's episode of the Mustard Seeds
1: Podcast is brought to you by Sergio Garcia. I may not always win, but when I do, I don't. Sergio Garcia. Colby. I How like that he
0: this guy lost in a major poor poor Sergio. I don't know, I've never been a fan of Sergio Garcia. That's like a total personal taste thing. It's nothing like nothing wrong with the guy, I guess. I've just never yeah, been able to cheer for. It's not the him. racial
1: slurs, it's not the arrogant look, it's not the second place finishes, it's not the the Spanish Lee Westwood. It's just everything about Sergio Garcia makes you not want to cheer for him. But I kind of felt bad for him this weekend. He shoots, uh, what was it, 15 under to come in second place?
0: Yeah, two back.
1: Two back. Two back of Rory McIlroy, which we will talk about right off the bat. Rory McIlroy becomes, interesting fact, as he wins the Claret Jug, the third youngest to win three majors. Um, Well, since 1934, Tiger Woods was 24, Jack Nicklaus was 23, and now Rory is 25 years old with three majors under his belt. What did you think about the
0: performance this weekend? So you're saying that he's in good company?
1: I'm saying that yeah, he makes he makes a list <laughs> of guys that have done pretty well in the sport of
0: golf. Yeah. Man, I was impressed. Like, and it, it most the best thing about it was that he he won it with a wire-to-wire game. Like he led in round one, led in round two, led in round three by six, and then won in round four. Like uh super impressive. I, I think whenever you see a golfer do that where there's really not a lot of peaks and, and valleys, when he just kind of plays that you know he hit he hit a home run that just kept rising and uh, yeah it was it was cool to see and I was happy for him because he you know he's had a rough couple of years crazy thing him and his ex-girlfriend Caroline Wozniaki, who they they broke up what 2 months ago something yeah, like that now he texted
1: her he texted her to break up with her which at the time people made a big deal out of but not a bad move if it's uh, going to
0: result in in wins at the British Open Yeah but she won today too Oh really she won a tournament. In, she won an Istanbul. I think it was like her first win, maybe since they were going out. Like they both broke the curse after you know splitting. After, there. after breaking breaking something. A- I out. was trying to think of a good breaking. Yeah, yeah. like after, after breaking it off, they broke. I could see broke. the wheels. I
1: could see the wheels turning. Uh, yeah, with that one. But so perhaps maybe that's the trend. You know, a little inter athlete dating. If you both got a couple of big uh, championships to play, maybe you take a break and maybe they'll end up getting back together. But I agree with you in terms of the wire-to-wire. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Keimer do this at the PGA? Or was it... Yeah, didn't Keimer do this at the PGA? Was it the zone? U.S. Open? It was I the U.S. Thought,
0: Open. I thought Bubba won the U.S. Open. You see, I'm all over the place. But the wire-to-wire is... Martin Keimer won a major, and he and you're right, he went wire-to-wire. And it Did was very wire-to-wire. recent. Which is, which is cool, because you... That, that that to me is a new thing in
1: terms of the 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 conventional wisdom with golf, and especially in majors, is that if you have a really good start, unless you're one of the top, top players in the world that have done it consistent, consistently over the years, it's very hard to do that wire-to-wire wire because the field is so big and because you are playing against so many different types of, well, different factors throughout an entire weekend. Rory going wire-to-wire wire is probably more impressive to me than actually the 17 under that he finished with yeah because you look at the other guys in the field you've got Sergio who was 15 under Jim Furyk who was 13 under I believe and Ricky Fowler tied for second also 15 under. so those are some pretty good scores uh but only one guy is going to win and
0: Rory managed to pull it off with a two-shot lead there are also some pretty good golfers up there. Like I know that Sergio's trailed off a little bit. Furyk hasn't done a lot in a while, but you know those are four heavy names, right? McIlroy, Fowler, who hasn't won a major yet, but I, I mean I I love the guy. I think he's a great young golfer. He strikes a ball well. Uh, he's got cool style. Uh, Sergio Garcia wicked and, then, style. and then Jim Furyk. Wicked,
1: what? Wicked, wicked style.
0: I uh, you know what? I didn't. I guess I didn't feel bad for Sergio this week because. He really isn't a premier guy anymore. I mean, he might be in Europe. I I don't know. Like I, but he's he's not a threat anymore on the PGA Tour to be like that. Like I don't see him on a lot of billboards. So uh, I almost felt like he kind of um, you know he he overplayed like he played a great tournament, but he played better than he probably should to finish second. Kind of like when Andy Roddick a few years ago went up to the wire with Roger Federer, right? Like they, they had that full five set game. I mean, Andy Roddick was not that good of a player anymore, but he played out of his shoes. Uh, it's so, I don't really feel bad because the, you know, McIlroy, he was the better guy and he is the best guy of those four. And he deserved to win.
1: So McElroy in his three major championships that he's won, The British Open, uh, the U.S. Open, and the Masters, I believe. No, he hasn't won the Masters. Sorry, he won the PGA. Um, In those three, I think he's had a combined uh, 17-shot victory. I think he was an 8-shot winner in one of them and a 7-shot winner in the other. And there was a 2-shot winner uh, yesterday uh, in the British Open. But here's, here's what the big test is for me with McElroy. He When he is at the top of his game and media attention is on him, he has to now make sure that he continues the momentum and he doesn't just become a blip in the radar, which is kind of what people thought he would. When he started off his career so hot and he was anointed the new Tiger, he kind of just fell off. But now he's been able to bounce back is a great story, I think, for golf, especially given the fact that the Tiger effect is all pre-tournament hype at this stage and he is nowhere near competing against some of the young up-and-comers that golf has, has now seen win a lot of these majors like the Martin Keimers, like the Rory McIlroys and so on.
0: Rory McIlroy, um, you're quoting, like, his record with, you know, the wins by margin. 2011 U.S. Open, he won uh, with a record score for the U.S. Open of 16 under par. He won by eight shots in the PGA Championship in 2012. Uh, he won by a record eight strokes for his second major victory. So, when it, like, whenever he's in a major, he seems to just be the headline guy. And actually, even when he doesn't win, remember the Masters yeah. in 2011 where he blew up? Like, Even when he lost that tournament, he didn't do it without doing it spectacularly. Like, it was a fail of epic proportions. So, I mean, the guy just, uh, yeah, he's pretty good in front of the camera.
1: Now, unfortunately, the British Open is one of these tournaments that kind of falls victim to time zone, the time zone effect in the sense that when most of us in North America are waking up on Sunday morning, the tournament's over or pretty close to wrapping up. Now, my experience watching golf, Tiger Woods is the only person that can get you up at 4 a.m., to watch a final round Uh, can golf hang on the balance now with some of these younger guys winning or does tiger still need to be in the conversation for golf to be important because this is the second major in a row now that sunday hasn't meant anything the leader has ran away with it on the final day and i don't know what the ratings are off the top of my head but i can't imagine they're as close to what they are when tiger's
0: winning tournaments I, I'd almost say three straight majors because the Masters, like I remember watching it and all that stuff. But to be honest, like if it wasn't the Masters, I mean, I think people watch the Masters because it's the Masters and it's Augusta in the green jacket. Like it just feels familiar, right? Um, Bubba Watson, yeah, he won that this year. Martin Keimer won the U.S. Open, which no offense to Martin Keimer. He's just a boring guy to watch because like we live in North America. Martin Keimer's German and, and he's quiet. So... And I think that the European effect, like you seeing Rory McIlroy, and which you know I think Rory McIlroy is a pretty cool guy for a golfer, at least. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. I mean, golf's never gonna die off or go away it's been around for so long and it and it's it's always going to have its fans who just love golf because they love golf but when you when you talk about Tiger I mean what he did in the early 2000s like he brought in a whole bunch of people who you would have never even saw picking up a golf club and if they did it it would have been ironic and and not in the like hipster ironic way just ironic like they were not like people that you saw playing because of Tiger were not going to do it before he came along and you know because he also is black like it's it's just a whole other element to the to the sport and to his fandom i think he he was what the first or like the second billion dollar guy i think you know jordan obviously did well for himself in the day but either way tiger woods was, was the first billion dollar golfer ever um i mean i don't know if he needs to really be around for the sport to to thrive but he needs that he needs to be around for it to to be back up to where it once was for sure
1: I think, and you touched on some really great points in the sense that his margin of victory in the early 2000s and sort of his consistency of how often he won is what kept people tuning in on television. And as you mentioned, golf's not going anywhere, but now sport is almost rated on how well it does in TV ratings. Everything matters on on television. So with that being said, I think it's really ironic if you look at the current popular golfers, because to me, they are exactly what Tiger Woods has built up. Tiger was better than everyone 10, 15 years ago because he was athletic. He actually started lifting weights, which golfers never did before. He was a, He's a yeah. very physically imposing guy. And now you look at all the top golfers in the top 10. These guys are also taking on the same workout regimens as Tiger has done. Now he has almost created the monster. Now the challenge for him is... How can I beat what I have built up? Now his competitors aren't the Ernie L's and Vijay Singh's and David Duval's; They're the big, imposing, physical guys like Martin Keimer... Rory McElroy, who's not big in the in the sense of his height, but these guys are athletic looking builds and it's a different Adam type of game. Adam Scott's a pretty hot guy. And so. Adam Scott as well does well for himself. So it's a different game. So it's almost ironic in the sense that Tiger has created the monster. Now he's yeah. gotta slay the dragon without being too cliche y. But that's kind of the challenge from from here on, I think, for him.
0: Well, an issue for Tiger was that there there was a point in I believe 2010 where he was slaying too many dragons. So, uh <laughs> that's sort of what took him away from the game and yeah, like then he was playing catch up, right? And and you look at it, I mean, I mean, I mean, how stupid is that? When you really look at everything that's happened to Tiger was in the past 5 or 6 years, I mean, so much of it is is his own doing, right? But now it feels like it's not his own doing. Now it just feels like he's, yeah, like you said, he created this monster because he made the game so popular. The funny thing too is that you know we're talking about uh, about whether golf can still be uh, so cool. I mean, Rory McIlroy, like you said, is so much like Tiger Woods, like as far as as far as why he's good. Um, he's he's all skill. Uh, he can hit the ball wherever he wants you know, normally as long as he wants. Uh, He attacks the course. Again, three majors by by 25, only Jack and Tiger have ever done that. So even though Rory kind of had slipped for a couple years, he really didn't slip long enough for it to actually, you know, kill his career. Um, You mentioned TV ratings, too. I think the one thing about that is that, you know, TV, um, not necessarily in sports, but in general, like TV isn't doing so well. So we always hear about ratings for, for TV, for sports, and for shows because TV's been been failing compared to the Internet in so many ways. But sports, it's still strong. So all we ever hear about is numbers for, like, the Super Bowl or for golf or for hockey or whatever it is that we've had these, these you know, these, like, record numbers because live sports is still so important to so many people. Um, so we hear about that, but, I mean, those numbers can't really – they really shouldn't affect a guy like Roy or Adam Scott. Like They should just be going there trying to win tournaments, right? And uh, It's a bit of, of juggling, I guess, which they really shouldn't have to worry about.
1: Yeah, and I think as long as they focus on what they have been focusing on, uh, golf at the end of the day, I think you're hardcore golf fans. They just want to see some consistency. Golf has always strived when you have a guy or several guys who are winning multiple times. That's what makes it, successful, and it's what makes rivalries, and I think in any individual sport, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, uh, you just want to see uh, athletes compete against each other and have a carry-on uh, year by year, so it's not just a bunch of random names, and I think we're getting there in the sense that we don't have to rely so much on Tiger, but man, pre-tournament hype, it's all people are talking about, every single... Major, is this the one that we're going to see Tiger? So yeah. um, it's just one of those things. I don't think it'll ever go away until he retires. I really think that his effect is so long-lasting that we might not, not ever hear the
0: end of him before any tournament, no matter what his form is. Well, maybe we should hope that Tiger's hype, you know, stays. Like, even if he never wins an, an, another major, like, maybe it's good that people still clearly aren't bored yet even to keep talking about the guy as a, as a guy for the major. Like he, And
1: speaking, you know, speaking of of a guy who is probably brings just as much hype, if not even more. LeBron James as a Cleveland Cavalier, Cavalier now. We have not talked about that yet. It happened last week. We took a bit of a hiatus, as uh, sports took a bit of a hiatus during the MLB All-Star star break. But news yeah. came out today that the Cavaliers are expected to sign Andrew Wiggins to a contract, uh, which has been a bit of a delay because of the rumored Andrew Wiggins to Minnesota for Kevin Love trade rumors so with that being said um and just to remind everyone if once the Cavs sign wiggins which again is expected to take place this week they must wait 30 days before actually dealing him to another team and that sort of brings up the debate does this make this more likely that wiggins will get traded to minnesota or does this make it less likely that he'll get traded to minnesota what do you think
0: I don't think it matters at all. Actually, I don't think that that this will affect the Minnesota. The sorry, like the pending possible, whatever you want to call it, Minnesota trade, uh, which would be Wiggins, uh, who is the number one pick this year, Anthony Bennett, number one pick the year before, and then a future number one pick. That's the that's the you know thought that that's the table trade. Um, I don't think that it, that it would affect the trade at all. Like yeah, they have to wait thirty days, but it's the off season. Um, I think Cleveland does want to pull Minnesota along a little bit. I think that they tried to get it done without including Wiggins just to see what they could gauge from Minnesota. I think Minnesota's been playing hardball back. Um, I don't think it makes a difference uh, whether whether they do it today or in 30 days or, you know what, even in a, in a few months. Like maybe they let the first couple months of the season go by and then they go, you know what, now we we need Kevin Love and let's make this deal. So. That's think, that's what I think,
1: but I you think know, you disagree. I, I think given this, I mean, when I first read this news, my first thought was that there's no way they're going to deal him. You don't bring on your number one pick, sign him, and then keep him for 30 days in limbo and then deal him. I think that they've almost had their time to figure out what they're going to do. And I think if the trade hasn't gone through yet, uh, I don't think it will go through now. Now, that being said, and, a comp- and in completely no way does this matter at all for the Cavs, what I would do in this situation is yeah. I can't even believe they're discussing moving Wiggins. Now, there may be a bit of goading or there may be some gamesmanship involved here, and there most likely is. Um, I I don't think that they have ever any intention of trading Wiggins, given the upside that he gives you. Everyone knows how great of a player Kevin Love is, but I think it's it's almost like a Chris Bosh effect He's leaving a really bad team as the best guy on that team, like Bosch did with the Raptors, to be a second fiddle to the best player in the league. Now, I think the upside with Andrew Wiggins is so far greater, and we've seen glimpses of that in the summer league. Um, and at the end of the day, you don't know what LeBron's going to do in a couple of years' time. He's on a very short-term contract with Cleveland, so he might decide to jet, and at least now you have Andrew Wiggins as an insurance policy for the future.
0: Yeah, but that last part, though... I mean, first, let's just let's put this out there because it has to be said we're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So if we're talking about sound decisions (laughs) based on logic and patience, I'm not sure Cleveland and their owner, especially Dan Gilbert, which he's the owner. He isn't even the general manager. He isn't even the coach. But for some reason, we're talking about what Dan Gilbert wants. Like, that's what everyone's saying. Right. And but I think like like you said, the fact that LeBron James, he only signed a two year deal. So we don't know what he's going to do in two years. That's why I think they feel a lot of pressure to bring in Kevin Love. Now, keep in mind, Kevin Love is only 25 years old. So when you, when you compare him to Chris Bosh, I mean, it's different because Love has got... Love still has the upside for for eight or ten years, right? So if you're talking about, about just a player-to-player, like Wiggins for Kevin Love, it's re- like I think you have to say, yes, right now, Kevin Love, no question about it. Kevin Love would have been a number one pick if if they knew what he was going to turn into. I believe the number one pick that year was, well, it was Derrick Rose. That's a fine pick. Number two was, like, Michael Beasley. Yeah, they would redo that one in a heartbeat. So it's – it's but it's a tough thing. I think Cleveland's trying to, trying to look forward to see, like – they're trying to consider hypotheticals. Um, and it's funny because we've now had, a, like, at least a week, right, to talk about this trade – or sorry, to talk about James going back to Cleveland and, and to process it. Um, I was happy to see him go back to Cleveland. To kind of do that, it's kind of like a feel-good story that someone would do that and go back to you know to that city in Ohio, even though he's from Akron or whatever. Um, but it is funny when you when when you think of it, just the whole Cleveland James thing. Like they are extremely lucky that the best player since Michael Jordan was born two hours away, and I know that they feel like he's now like their property. Like oh well, he should play here because he's from here, but. That's sort of, I mean, you don't always see that, right? Like, it's sort of presumptuous for their part. Like, now that I'm really thinking about it, it's presumptuous that they were so upset that he would want to play somewhere else. And I'm kind of disappointed in in the guy, to be honest, now that he's back, because he seems to be leading a bit of this trade bus to bring in love. And I can't blame him for it, but it's sort of unfair for him, to me, to walk into a team that already has their players, already has their system, and he's just trying to kind of copy and paste what he did in, in Miami. And it's sort of, I wouldn't call it selfish. I think it's a little bit self-centered. Um, you, you know, like, why would he go to Cleveland? I mean, they are in a better shape, even without James. Like, if you took Miami w- without James and Cleveland without James, I would rather go to Cleveland, just based on basketball. They have younger players. They got a better future. See, uh,
1: see yeah. I, 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 I could not disagree with you more. In I, last, I, in the, I, just in the last, I, just, I, just in, just in the last part, I think, and I, I want to get back to that. I, I'll expand on that in a little bit. I would take Miami over Cleveland. I was right talking now. for a while. So right, I would yeah. take Miami over Cleveland right now if you take LeBron out of both teams. But I said uh, when we talked about this about a week before LeBron made the decision. I said that I would be very disappointed if LeBron ended up going back to Cleveland because it seems to me as a cop-out. Now, I stand by that. And if you take all... By the way, LeBron's PR guy, that guy is like... He is like the best PR guy ever. You can... I can't believe he turned... Whatever the decision LeBron made to ditch his team that just lost in the finals because of him... Send him back home and make him look like the hero. He turned his back on Wade. He turned his back on Chris Bosh. He turned his back on the Miami Heat. And all of a sudden, he's the hero for going back to the damsel in distress, Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland have been the bottom of the barrel in every single North American sport that they compete in for years. All of a sudden, they now have LeBron James and Johnny Manziel, quite possibly the two most talked about and biggest stars in North America right now. You said yeah. it, they're lucky. They are very lucky to have, well, Manziel, who fell to them in the draft, and LeBron, who you said, lives two hours away.
0: Well, and the fact that they were so bad. Be- like, okay, first off, you're lucky that, that this guy is born in your state. Second, you're lucky that in 2003, when he was drafted, you were so bad the year before that you got the number one pick. Like, everything lined up perfectly for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and, and now we're hearing people talk about Minnesota, like it's some like it's Siberia and no offense to Siberia but like i mean yeah i'll agree you know like like minneapolis isn't miami it isn't new york it isn't los angeles it's not some cosmopolitan wonderland where all this culture and stuff is but there's nothing wrong with minneapolis and certainly compared to cleveland there's nothing wrong with minneapolis so it's funny that everyone kind of takes this darling approach to cleveland and then they just they just dump all over minnesota in the process so it, it's a really weird situation um, as, as far as that goes. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, I thought it was a bit of a cop-out. Um, and I also thought that in the sense that LeBron never really mentioned one of the real reasons, which is, you know what? like He isn't just going back to Cleveland to try to save the day. He's going there because—and and whether you agree that, that they're better than Miami without him or whatever. They still have Kyrie Irving. They still had the number one pick this year, last year. They've still had a bit of a foundation. He's not going back to nothing. So, and I think he did see that Miami had a had a bad finals last year. He kind of cut and ran. I think he he only has a few more years left at this prime shape. And, in fact, I would go a step further and say that Kevin Durant is in a much better individual position to be that player next year. Like, I think Kevin Durant should be the MVP for the next two seasons. Um so I I thought it was as as heartwarming as it was in a homeward bound kind of way. You know, the the faithful dog returns home and runs. Like, it was also just a little bit phony and cheap and forced and,
1: and it, it, fake. It ab- fake. Ab- and it absolutely um, just makes sports fans, I think, kind of look a little dumb in that yeah. you have a nation of people who hate LeBron James. And all of a sudden, somebody writes an article in Sports Illustrated, and everybody now loves LeBron James. Like, uh, I like it, it. just it dilutes sports, and I and I and, I, and I, I've said this before. Like, I kind of hate when sports transcends into popular culture. Um, just because of reasons like this now you don't have anyone actually analyzing the situation and taking a look at both sides and saying okay like let's really look at the justification behind this you just have a lot of people who get very giddy and excited because they hear that this is what is making people talk about the sport and I just I I just it kind of bothered me and I kind of felt disappointed like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, this is something that he would have done. This is exactly in line with his character. The, his, one of the biggest criticisms about LeBron in the sense of the public perception of him is that he loves to please people. And this is just another one of his ways to ditch out on a challenge, which would have been staying in Miami and bouncing back and winning another title with them. But instead, right. he likes to please The masses, by doing what everybody wants, which is, like you said, the homeward bound, return home, you know, it's a lovable story. And I I just, I don't buy it. And I don't think it's going to end up well for the Cavs. I think they're going to end up in tears once again. And there's going to be more jerseys burnt when it's all said and done.
0: Yeah, I think it will end up well for Cleveland on on the court. Like, I think I, I would... Like to agree with you, but I think I thought that when he went to Miami, like, oh great, you've got three players, and no one else, and then they won two straight championships, and they were in four. So I mean, but I think, and and I was one of the, I was one of the, one of the idiots. Like the first few days, yeah, I was excited for him, for him to go back to Cleveland because it was a it's a fun thing to read about, and it was like okay, cool, like you know, if Cleveland can make it, then maybe like the rest of us can, you know. But when you, then when you actually pull yourself back and think about it, it's I mean, like I said, I I felt kind of. Defrauded a little bit, and also as far as basketball, like as far as the actual game itself, let's not forget he still stayed in the Eastern Conference. If Cleveland is in the West, I don't think that he makes that move. I mean, there are better teams in the West with sorry, like like better younger you know teams with a stronger foundation, like Phoenix or like Houston, like they've got good teams. I don't know if Golden State and as far as Houston goes, like I know that they ran on Bosch, so that. Like, that was their guy, and then they didn't get him. But if LeBron would have told them, hey, I want to come play in Houston because I like, I want to play with James Harden, I want to play with Dwight Howard, they would have bent over for him. Or the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, why not go somewhere? I mean, so it's sort of a protected move. Like, he kind of has this appearance of it being a very courageous. Uh, honorable thing, and it it is in the sense that he's going home, but it's not too courageous. It's kind of protected. It's kind of easy for him. Like you said, he could have faced a challenge in Miami. I don't blame him for wanting to to leave Miami, but let's not hold him up to be this hero. Let's just treat him like he is, and that's a man. So, Well, when the season starts, it's going to be great because the focus, again, is on LeBron. The
1: focus is going to be on the Cavs, and it's just all going to be... I mean, win or lose, it's going to be dramatic because you know... Once LeBron's involved, it's always going to be always going to be made-for-TV drama. Now, speaking of m- potential made-for-TV drama,
0: Colby, you were <laughs> at—well, why don't you just tell us, where were you this week? I know where you're going with this. I was at, starting with that 8 a.m. Saturday morning, I had to make a, uh, a nice 45-minute drive to get there. I was at the Quidditch Global Games in Burnaby, British Columbia, which is like—there actually is a real Quidditch World Cup. Okay? But the Quidditch Global Games is actually like the World Cup we see in the movies or in the books. You know the one from the Order of the Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we we just lost whatever <laughs> our, our athletic audience would would be. Um but yeah, I was lost, it was you know what we just lost all what? five listeners, Colby. It's yeah. just you and me now. Well two of them were you and me. Um <laughs> it was it was great. It was awesome. Like it is it is an Tense game. It's fast. It's physical. It's rough. Like the goofy part about the sport is that they have to run around with the brooms be- between their legs. But that makes like the tackles even more cringy. Because when they get tackled and hit and smacked, they fall with these brooms. Like one girl got a broom handle like into her neck. Like they had to like stop the game and like carry her off. Cause she got like it was it was awesome and it is I should say and I'm yeah I I fell in love with it it is the world's only full contact co-ed sport so in this age of um, political correctness and non sexism uh, it is doing its job.
1: So were there teams there that actually represented the Harry Potter houses? Like was there Ravenclaw, no. Slytherin? No, they so it was just what was it countries? Like how does it what was countries. the breakdown? Okay
0: countries, as far as I know, I was the only hufflepuff there <laughs> uh no, it was countries so team Canada and they were the host they they finished in third they had the bronze medal. the United States won gold they defended their title from the last global games wow. uh Australia won silver Wow uh Mexico was the only I was gonna say they were the only non English speaking team there, but I guess Belgium and France were there, but they but they speak English um yeah, it was. It was fun. Would you, would you the US ever... Canada had Canada had the best result against the US of any team. What was the point But they still won bronze. Be, sorry, was there
1: what? was there a snitch?
0: Yeah. Okay, so there are snitches who are humans and they go on there and they have a this is going to make me sad. So they have a they have a a tennis ball in like a tube sock that's attached <laughs> to like the back of their pants so it's almost like a flag in flag football. And they have to run around the field, and then the seekers can get them. So it's so, just like in the it's just like in the movie. Um, but the snitches, like one guy, he was jacked. He was the snitch in the Canada USA game. He was huge, and he could run. He was like it was it was like tackling Brian Erlocker playing Quidditch, and uh, it took them forever. Like he was just ragdolling people out there. Like it was uh, it wasn't like your typical metal Tinkerbell snitch. So to me, that's,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm trying to visualize this, but I've only seen yeah. pictures and I think they do enough justice, but that's, that's great that you're out at, uh, you know, in a potential burgeoning sport in the Quidditch no, world. You, you're
0: making it sound like cute, like all cute and crappy. Well, it's a
1: real it, sport. It is. I'm not denying that. I'm just, it sounds cute. Maybe, maybe the, 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 the fact that it's called, still called Quidditch, um, maybe a deterrent for some people who don't know anything about, Harry Potter, but you know who am I to judge, right? It's not like I, it's not like I've read the books twelve times over and went to every single premiere of the movie, yeah. And dressed up like Hermione Granger, but that's just me. So,
0: but see, I think because I know what you're saying. Like, if they if they ditch Quidditch for a different name, people might take it more seriously, right? Yeah. But the but like the thing about it though is that the game would still be the same. Like you may as well recognize where you came from and kind of embrace it because I think like everyone likes Harry Potter. Like I haven't heard too many people you know, big up somebody because that person liked Harry Potter. It's not like I think most people do, and they're fantastic books and their and their and their great movies. I think that they should just keep it because it's it's where it came from. Um, you know, we were I like I also think too, I heard some people talking about this because they are you know, like like the it looks dumb because they have to carry the broom between their legs. But think about it, like, why do you still have to dribble a basketball? Like it's it's kind of an impediment. It's kind of silly looking. I mean hockey, like when you try to explain ice hockey to people who aren't from Canada, they look at you like you're like they're like so why are you wearing skates and why is the stick shaped like that? Like why? And I mean golf is like yeah, I'm I'm going to smack a ball 5 times over 500 yards into a tiny hole. Like every sport if you really break it down is kind of silly. Right? So, this so is I just wonder just if in 100 years we'll look back on quidditch and we'll be like, "Yeah, that's uh that's a legit thing."
1: Not a bad point. Okay, we have a couple minutes left, but we want to touch on uh, Derek Jeter. The All-Star game yeah. was uh, well between shows for us, so we want to get a chance to sort of touch on w- not only where he stands all time, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we have this conversation, but he, he he's one of these guys now, and I think it's fitting for the fact that he plays baseball, that now this is just a victory lap for him. Where do you rate him, or do you think he is now... At the overrated stage of his career, and and that might not even be fair to say because he's already decided to hang him up. So, where do you think that he sort of stands all time?
0: I think he is overrated, but I think that it's not a bad thing. Like he is loved because he's a fan favorite. He has all the. He looks like he's a he's a nice guy. Um, He's like he's a fan favorite even in Boston. Like he's just. He's just one of those guys, like every sport's got a a couple of them, who is just loved by everyone because they're an ambassador of the sport. So I think that makes him overrated. Like, I think he could be a top five player of all time. He would still be overrated. Um, I think we have an an obsession to try to rank athletes, like where they are exactly in the best of all time. And, you know, we've talked about, like, uh, Lionel Messi being whether he's the greatest ever. Well, he, he doesn't have to be. Like, if he's the third best player ever, like, what's wrong with that? So, with Derek Jeter, like, I think he's a great Yankee. He's been in the league for 19 years. Uh, His stats are great. He's had several 200-hit seasons, but he's never had, like, a record-setting season. He's been a really, really good shortstop, which I think leads to the overrated bit because outfielders get the home runs, right? Uh, Pitchers have perfect games, or they have, you know, 20-win seasons, or they have ERAs, or they—but— shortstops aren't really your overpowering guys. Jeter's never had that many RBIs in a season, although over 19 years, he's certainly racked them up. Um, he's been great in the playoffs. Defensively, he was for a time probably the best player in baseball. But is he like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think he is held up with like next to guys like Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, and he doesn't belong there. But he certainly belongs to be respected, and you know, obviously, be in the Hall of Fame. But See, what, uh,
1: what? And and the interesting thing is, is what makes say? I mean, those three guys, just for as an example, what makes Ruth, uh, Gehrig, and Mantle at the very top of the mountain? I mean, Ruth is yeah. obvious in the sense that he was the first. He he, and he was also the greatest and. My stance with when you're ranking people, the first is always the greatest, and then you just leave it at that because it's so hard when you're when you're talking about different errors. But then you have Mantle and you have Gehrig, who, for all intents and purposes, he might not be up there if he isn't named after the disease yeah. that caused him the end of his career and the end of his life. So, how do you sort of differentiate between all these guys? Because I don't really, I mean, I don't really know where where you would put Derek Jeter. I think if you're going to put him somewhere, you have to understand that you're putting him in a different era of baseball. So he plays all throughout the 90s, and he wins three titles or four titles in the 90s. They won the 2000 Subway Series, so that was not a 90s title. But you, you have a guy who the lure around him is almost greater than the actual play on the field. And because he's in Yankee pinstripes, and because he's the most popular bachelor out there, and because he's a nice guy and he flashes a nice smile and he's the captain... Then does that not make him at the top of the mountain with the rest of those guys?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, but I like that's what I say. Like when you call him overrated, like like I mean calling someone overrated is a harsh term. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, but I think we're just talking in regards to that greatest of all time. Like I don't think any. any, I mean, I mean, no one calls him the greatest of all time, but. He's definitely – I just think he's overrated in the sense that I, I think a lot of times when you talk about why he's so good, people who talk about Derek Jeter as being so great probably cannot uh, call off by memory his stats in any one season. Yeah. I think they they just remember him being great. They remember him being in the conversation for a couple MVPs. Yeah. Uh, he, they also won the World Series in 2009, by the way. But, uh, yeah, like I think Ruth is undisputable. He was the first, like you said. He basically invented baseball. He did it at an easier time. Remember, he was a pitcher before he was ever a ever a uh, slugger. But, I mean, when, when Babe Ruth hit his 60 home run season, I believe the next closest guy had 11. Like, so he wasn't just the first. He was also so far beyond every everyone else. I think, you know, then you look at guys who were great at... I mean, Mickey Mantle could, could hit a home run like nobody else. So, Mantle's career, like, honestly, probably isn't up there with Jeter's. Because he wasn't... I mean, he didn't play for 19 years. Uh, he didn't have the all-around game that maybe Jeter had, although Mickey Mantle was a specimen. Um, you know, like Willie Mays is up there. I, I just think Jeter's, uh It's just so hard to evaluate guys in the present compared to guys in the past because I, I mentioned Gehrig. At the same time, I don't know a thing about Gehrig because that was a long time ago and I was certainly not alive. Yeah. So... I Hey, it's
1: tough. And, you know, this is almost like a theme of our show is when we get into the conversations about the greatest of all time, and I don't think that's a conversation topic that will ever die amongst any sports fans ever, because it's so much fun to talk about Yeah, when you're merging your own personal memories in terms of where you were and what you saw and what you felt. Like, I don't think anyone who saw Jeter make that phenomenal play against Jason Giambi in the Oakland Athletics in, I'm not sure what year it was. The flip flip pass. The flip pass. regardless of, of and it's those things you remember with Jeter you remember him diving into the stands to make the catch against the uh, that was also Oakland yeah there's phenomenal plays against the Orioles it's just it's flashes of plays that you remember from him as opposed to his stat line as opposed to oh Miguel Cabrera oh that was his triple crown yeah. year, or oh you know that what? was the year after he was triple crown where he almost did it again like it's different than those types of years
0: Miguel Cabrera will retire, and I think it would be fair to say that when he does, you could call him a better all-time player than Derek Jeter, just just by on-the-field things. Same with Albert Pujols, uh, I think, when he goes down. Um, the play, by the way, just, just to get it accurate, I believe it was 2001, and it was Jeremy Giambi. Jeremy, the often... Uh... The often confused
1: but not really confused Giambi. The often cited Vegas brother, who I was who was also on the uh,
0: the Mitchell report. Um,
1: and one of the but, better and one of the better movie scenes is Moneyball when Jeremy gets called into the office and he's told that he's just been traded. And I don't know who played Jeremy Giambi in that scene, but uh, that was that, that was that was pretty good stuff. It
0: might have actually been Jeremy it might, Giambi. He, may, he might have
1: just been looking for work, and he was like, "I will play myself. Let's do it."
0: Yeah. Um, but you know it's funny, like you mentioned, like like the greatest of all time thing. Some guys just are the greatest of all time, and you can't explain it with stuff because they just are. And one of those guys is Michael Jordan, right? Like Michael Jordan didn't retire with the most points or with the most assists or whatever. Like it didn't really matter. He just he just was the greatest of all time. So it's so hard for someone like LeBron James to come along and. It almost feels like you're waiting for him to to take the mantle, but he can't really like there's nothing that that LeBron James can do to become the greatest ever. He could lead he could score the most points of all time. and I don't think that it would make him better or worse than Michael Jordan. He's just because michael Jordan is it's a moving target. like he's chasing a ghost. I think Babe Ruth is one of the other ones. I think Pele to some extent. Has that for soccer because he played so long ago. Um, Muhammad Ali in boxing, like you're, you're never going to touch him. And Wayne Gretzky as well. Like, you know, Mario Lemieux's close. Bobby Orr's close. But Gretzky's Gretzky. I, I think some guys just have that. And uh, maybe we're straying a little bit from Jeter because he's not in that conversation. But when you put him up next to guys like that or anybody up up next to guys like that, it's just they all seem like they're in the whole group below them.
1: Yep, I couldn't that agree more. Sense. And I don't think you'd find many people who would disagree with that. Well, that was the Mustard Seeds podcast for this week, guys. If you want us uh, on a more regular basis... If you want us. If you want us, you can reach us at yeah. Colby Solinsky on Twitter. That's K-O-L-D-Y-S-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y. And Ian P. Jacobs on Twitter, although I don't know if you'll find me tweeting much, but I may start tweeting if I get a few follows here and there. Um, we're also on Facebook as the Mustard Seeds Podcast, and we're on SoundCloud, and we're on iTunes, so uh, keep up with us, and uh, we will be back on the airwaves, or some, like the internet waves, I guess, is kind of what, what it's called now. Or the, yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say keep it casual, but Ian, you you, you just did.
1: I think, I think I just made it casual by, by doing the whole airwaves thing. Keep it casual.